As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to the TIFO Football Podcast. I am John McKenzie and I'm joined, as I always am, by my good pal and producer Mike Zimmerman. Mike, how are you? I'm doing well, John. How are you? I'm doing really well because today we have a really exciting episode, which is all based around sensible transfer. So you have just listened to that episode. So what did you make of it? I love the Manchester United conversation talking about raising the ceiling versus raising the floor. And it seems that Manchester United in in the recent past has kind of just raised the floor and and hasn't made a signing to to raise their ceiling to take them to the next level. Um and the conversation between striker and goalkeeper, what's what's Manchester United's big priority? Um, I, I really found the Manchester United conversation fascinating. Yeah, and we've talked about a number of different clubs, the clubs that we have covered in the Sensible Transfer video. So do make sure that you've checked those out on our TIFO IRL channel. We talked about today uh, Spurs, we talked about Newcastle, we talked about Manchester United, and we talked about Chelsea. And so I think without further ado, let us go to the episode itself. So we are hosted by Ruben Pinder. So the next voice that you will hear is Ruben the Baby Boy Pinders. Enjoy the episode. Hello boys, nice to be back. Mm. I'm in a big boy chair now. It feels like a long time since I've seen you in this room. Lots of boys chat here. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, you use the word lads? Uh, am I not allowed to use the word lads? Whatever you want. Okay. I don't think you did use the word lads, so it's fine. Okay. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> sensible transfers. I'm in a bit of a lock already, this is good. <laughs> it's, it's the transfer window. Um, are you are you enjoying the transfer season? You've been doing a lot of research on who clubs should buy. How's it going? Oh, I love all the transfers. Yeah. Mm, I eat all of them, everyone. Mm-hmm. Nice, John. There's not been a huge amount, has there? It feels as though we're just about working up to the period of the transfer window where everything starts coming through. But I was looking through the Premier League's list of official transfers that have gone through, and there's not many clubs who've done a huge amount. I noticed that Brentford have done a fair amount of business. but have they? Well, sort of. They've got a few players who they've brought in. So, for example, Kevin Sharder, they had on a buy to... Loan to buy. Does that count as a transfer though? They already had him. Yeah. They only brought him in in January, so. Um, It's a bit like when Kovacic went to Chelsea on loan and then he was the only one they were allowed to keep because of the transfer embargo. It doesn't really count. Yeah. Yeah. So I already had him. Yeah. But so you've got, you guys have been making videos about who you think big clubs in the Premier League and a few others um, should sign. 
Um, what's the what's the process of uh, how you make one of those videos? Yeah, so I, th I think people might be surprised how much of a process there is behind them, actually, uh, given how people say that we haven't put any effort in whatsoever. Uh, but yeah, we, we spend a lot of time doing prep work in terms of choosing which of the 12 slots are going to be filled by which team. Uh, and a lot of that, it comes down to, you know, just taking a look at the shape of the squads that are there and trying to work out which teams are going to have to do a lot of uh, work in the window. Uh, and then once we've done that, it's then a case of, I think for the most part, it's finding interesting narrative angles, right? Where, because we can't just go through the whole of a squad and say they need to do this and this and this and this. It's a lot of the time, I think we try and think about squad building over the course of a number of different windows. Where do you start making it inroads if a squad needs a lot of work doing? Uh, and how do you explain to the, the viewer what, what it is that you're, you're trying to um, achieve by making the moves that you're, move, uh, you're making? So basically lots of meetings, hours of meetings, just trying to work out where the weaknesses in squads are and which players are going to work to fit those. But I think we're making a big effort to move the format away from what it was. Um, so there's been a lot of people in our channel saying they like the old format, but the new format is, I guess, designed to take into account bigger ideas of squad building now. So not just interesting players who could fill a need, but actually saying, well, if you bought this player, how does that impact your budget? How does it impact what you're going to do in the next window? Um, what are the, you know, the long term in, uh, effects of, of making those sorts of decisions now versus in the future as well? It's unlike the TIFO audience to complain about a change of format, isn't it? <laughs> anyway, uh, JJ, you didn't. Uh, you did a video on Newcastle um, and yes. which sensible transfers they should make. So, which uh, positions in their squad did you focus on? Uh, I did Newcastle. <laughs> Not enough preparation, apparently. We had. Well, thing is, are we assuming everyone listening and watching would know what sensible transfers are? I suppose, right? They must. They must just know. If you don't know, then it's your own fault. But we're going to assume a high level of intelligence of the audience and uh, past knowledge, I yeah, suppose. I think that's fair. I'm just giving myself time to remember who they were, <laughs> right? So the Newcastle, we can all, I mean, just talk about it, right? So Newcastle, we know how they play. We know that we need lots of depth because they got to Champions League way ahead of schedule, like we see in the video. And so how do you, as Newcastle, buy players who are better than what you've got, especially when you have real financial fair play restrictions because you can't, I mean, even though you have all the money on earth, you can't just put it in because there's rules to stop well, <laughs> depends how you look at it. There's rules to stop smaller clubs tr possibly trying to compete with the big ones is one way to look at it, but another way is to stop people just being able to ruin whatever you're doing with loads of money. Anyway, what they needed to get is probably new midfielders. Didn't cover that because there's a lot of chat going about who they might actually be signing. And the more interesting part probably was to look at their wide forwards because on the left, you've got loads of them, like, like St. Maximin, Gordon, Joe Linton can play there. Isak uh, plays there sometimes. Isak, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then the change of system, he comes inside. Then you've also got, uh, what's his chap, this Scottish lad, Elliot Anderson can play there too. So they've got lots of options on that that wing. But on the right-hand side, they've got Jacob Murphy and Miguel Almiron. And although Almiron had a great season, we're thinking that, do you know, it's maybe just a really good season. You can definitely make improvements on it and change the way you want to play. So rather than just what's a better player than Almiron is maybe someone who plays in a different way. So then we're looking at the kind of profile of players that would suit that. Then we're looking at lots of data and lots of different players that we know who are young and upcoming or maybe an experienced player trying to work out what that difference is where. And then we looked at where else the kind of weaknesses are. And although they're very strong defensively last season, they had like, I think they had the same amount of goals conceded as Man City, which is the best, second best, joint, joint first best defensive record. So that's really good. But they had 
Dan Byrne at left back, which maybe sees a chance to improve that. But then they're so heavily linked with Kieran Tierney and have been for ages. Didn't seem like the point was to go on that. Everyone knows who Kieran Tierney is. Mm-hmm. You know who Kieran Tierney is. Right? I know who Kieran Tierney is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so he, that, he is an Arsenal player. He doesn't play much for Arsenal. That's but, right. Yeah. And he plays for Scotland, doesn't he? He does play for Scotland. Yeah. yeah. We haven't done a sensible transfer for Scotland yet. <laughs> if I could, it would be the France national team. Yeah. I uh, slight tangent. Do you guys remember Match Magazine? Yeah. Yes. I I bought a match as well. Somebody bought what yeah. shoot? Did you have a shoot? Oh, I was a match match boy. Me too. Yeah. Somebody wrote into Match Magazine once saying that football would be improved if international teams could sign players like clubs can, failing to see that that would defeat the entire point of it. And they actually they published the letter endorsing the idea as if it was good. It was ridiculous. That's just an early example of a. Clickbait, but it's not clickbait. It's it's, um, it's turn bait. They're it's trying to incite bait, yeah. uh, uh, full violence from the readership by making something that makes them so irate yeah. they have to write letters in. It's engagement bait, but you have yes. to post the engagement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You have to be really angry to actually yeah. involve yourself. Yeah. Um, okay, so on the right wing for Newcastle, what were some of the names that came up? Uh, Musa Diaby. He's, he's linked with them anyway, but it is a sensible transfer. This is the thing. So a lot of it, you're like, ah, he's already linked. Because obviously they have scouts. And recruitment people who are have <laughs> like been a, doing what you've been doing all season right? professionally yeah. although yeah. I suppose we are doing this professionally as well. but yeah so Musa Diaby and then I like looking for sort of wonder kids superstars and then as anyone who's played football manager will have seen or has paid attention to European football last while Arda Guler is like the next big thing now I see his name on the running order and you've just mentioned him I don't play football manager oh. and I maybe don't watch enough football so can you tell me a bit about what, what sort of player he is yes you'll like Arda Guler mm. He's uh, this Turkish player. He's 18 years old. He's already got four caps for Turkey. He played against Wales in the last round of international fixtures. He scored an absolute pinger from the corner of the 18-yard box. Like, launched it top corner. He tried it earlier as well in the same game, but put it miles over the bar. But, you know, you can watch some players sometimes. You can just tell that they've got it. Like, he has the touch, the balance, the the movement, and uh, plays with this kind of confidence in the ball where everyone around him, even guys who are like 32, 33, just know that this guy can just give him the ball because he's the one that will make things happen. And he can play as a right winger, the, the kind of cliche messy thing. Everyone's next messy, right? He's been compared to Mesut Ozil as well. Because presumably he's left-footed. He's left-footed, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he's very dribbly, uh, very passy, very creative visiony, And he can do all those things from that right side or the half space or um, it's one of two eights. If you're the right side in a 4-3-3, the midfield, he can do that as a, like advanced playmaker, if you want to call it, going back to football. Yeah, yeah. words. But that's what he'd kind of do. But basically, he's just ace. He's really, really good. And so, what's his level, right? He's playing for Fenerbahce now. Um, really important part of their team now. He broke into, I think it's the second half of last season. I think he started playing more. But you can see, obviously, he's got turkey caps. So, he's no turkey caps. <laughs> it sounds like he's wearing a cap. <laughs> turkey. That'd be good. And so, yeah. He's got a turkey. You've not got turkey caps. I imagine <laughs> that's the sort of thing that you would own. Yeah. It does sound like I would own that. I don't know. Yeah. I did once. Next, next video, he'll have one on. Well, I did <laughs> once buy loads of fancy dress stuff because I was commissioned to make a bunch of comedy videos and uh, I bought loads of wigs and beards and stuff. And then me and my friend just dressed up like a pirate and stuff, and stuff like that. Anyway, that's a different thing. <laughs> I also got, I got hold of loads of action men and um, stuff like that. Cause I've thought, still got my action men. Well, I wanted to make a stop motion um, series, a comedy series where it was action men. Turns uh, out that's really hard. It's yeah. really <laughs> hard. Ages, yeah. 
There are some scripts. Ten frame, ten frames will take like six months. Is yeah, yeah, yeah it's a long. Time. Especially if you're slow. Mm. My parents used to uh, convince me that my action men were like sentient and they would move around the house. <laughs> so every time we went, every time we went on holiday, Dad would go, um, "Oh, I've forgotten something," and, and he'd, he'd run back inside and he'd get all my action men and he'd like set them up in the living room with the TV guide out and like an empty bottle of whiskey and like <laughs> some of them would be like lying down and then we'd come back from France a week later and he'd, and he'd be like, "You're." bloody action men are misbehaving again <laughs> that's great fully convinced I thought you were yeah. going to say that your uh, dad would disappear and come back dressed as an action man <laughs> <laughs> pretend he was one of the action he always men. looks like action man oh, that's good um, any, any action men in, in the Newcastle defence you mentioned Dan Byrne earlier yeah. and obviously he's like a centre back who has become a left back he, he still looks a bit out of position, but he does the role quite well. Yeah, um, he, the, he goes less forward than the, like, the right back does. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the other position in their defence that I guess they should be looking at is a successor to Fabian Scher, right? Well, we thought that, but then... So, like, like Sven Botman's the big, tall destroyer lad at the back, and Scher's more of the long, passy kind of guy, and he's really massively improved. I didn't really rate him that much before last season, and I think he's come on an awful lot. But you need depth, because the option they've got is, like, Jamal Lascelles, who's not it. Um, as I'm sure he's a lovely man. Yeah, but, he seems like one of those who's good to have around the place, but probably for what Newcastle want to be now, not quite at the level. Yeah, yeah. and they, they drop off noticeably when he's in the team. You can see it's just not quite the same level, and I mean, that's just what happens. You need better players. And so, because Botman's the the future and the, and the now, you think you probably want someone to play in the right, maybe both positions. That's why we looked at like, the Wonder Kid version for Newcastle. They've got so much money. It's this lad at Benfica called Antonio Silva, who's in the Portugal first eleven. I think he played the World Cup, didn't he? Yeah, he started. He's great, and he does everything. Like he can carry it, pass it, but he can also just mess things up at the back by heading it away and kicking people. He's a really clever, positionally intelligent. Centre back. He'll about, be the, it's about time Portugal brought through some centre backs, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. They were like born after the Second World War or something. Um, okay, cool. Yeah, him. Bella Kotchap at Southampton. That was never going to be good. But then they're, look, they're linked with um, Tino Livramento just now mm. at Southampton. We didn't really cover right back, but that makes sense because they, they have got Manquillo as the option, I think, at right back as cover. But I guess. Similar problem to Lascelles, no? Like, he's not. He's not as good, yeah. yeah. But then, and especially of what he achieves. But the Livermento is one of the most highly rated young fullbacks in like Europe. He's had a terrible ACL injury, and often you don't come back quite the same. But it's not to say he wouldn't. And um, he wouldn't be expected to start every game immediately, right? Exactly. Because Trippier would remain first choice, but with the extra games that they have to play, he would be a, they'd be able to phase him in. And that's smart squad yeah. building, I think. Yeah. And kind of what John was talking about earlier, part of the thinking of it is how you then manage. You're just managing the squad now. You're thinking, where is it going to be in five years' time? Where is it in three, five, ten years' time? What is the squad going to look like? How do you move people on? And you need to build. Uh, you need to build. You need to get homegrown players, especially. And so you, that you know you gain this advantage by getting those sort of players now if they're available. So sometimes I think clubs will just buy players because they are good, but we're trying to look at players that fit the profile of what maybe suits how they're playing currently, but also how they might change going forward. Yeah. I think the right back position is quite interesting because as we've been talking about a bit today, um, Kieran Trippier is a really important cog in that Newcastle machine. And there's been a, a, a data visualisation going around from Statsbomb that a lot of people have been looking at on social media today, which shows that Newcastle really are quite right-side dependent when they progress the ball forwards. And a, a lot of that is to do with the fact that Trippier can swing the ball into the box. So in terms of bringing someone through like Liveramento, how, how much of an impact do you think that would have on the way that, that Newcastle are playing? If if they are going to have someone who can rotate with Trippier, do you think that they try and get Liveramento doing the same sorts of things that Trippier is doing? Or do you think they have you know, a different different approach? Maybe if they bring in Tierney on the other side, you then 
you rotate it so that they're going up the left-hand side instead. Well, I guess that's the um, interesting thing about football recruitment and tactics <laughs> generally is that different players can't just do the exact same role as other people. I mean, I guess some sort of can. But you look at, I mean, we're not talking about this really, but like at Barcelona, Busquets is gone, right? So how do you replace Busquets? Because that's a real problem that Barcelona will have, and we'll talk about that in a mm. future Sensible Transfers video. But like, how do you replace that exact skill set? Because he's unique. You can't really get another one like him. And the closest thing you can get to Busquets really is Rodri, and he plays for a better, yeah. richer team. <laughs> so they're not going to be able to get him. Whereas, you know, in a different life where Barcelona remained as dominant as they were, just like post twenty ten, then he, they probably would have got him somehow. Well, that's it. And then right back's a different sort of position because then if you brought in a, a, like Tierney or someone who else who's a left back, it goes forward far more. And they've got Matt Target on the bench, right, Newcastle. So they've got that option of the wide left. So they do have the option. Dan Byrne's a very different player to Matt Target. Dan Byrne offers more maybe mental attributes, better attributes. Like he's more he's a Newcastle fan, he's a big lad, he gets stuck in. And there's there's something really to be said, honestly, I think. You can't really measure it. It does matter, yeah. Yeah, having someone who's absolutely nuts in your defence is really good. Because whenever you play like low level football, who's the players you don't want to play against? The ones who are nuts. The ones you're scared of, you don't want those. <laughs> yeah, and so and I'm sure that applies to professional level football. I, well. I think as well they they play a really intense out of possession game as well. So there's there's a sense with Newcastle uh, that that people will undervalue the sorts of players that they're going for because they you you always intrinsically think when you're talking about sensible transfers are oh, who are the most attractive players to watch in possession. Whereas a team like Newcastle want to get a huge amount of upside from players out of possession as well. So we've just seen them spend or has that gone through yet? Who the Tonali thing? Uh, no, that, not, not yet. So it's They've not announced it. It's well over. The, it's, it's very much looking like it's going to happen. The time this comes out, it's probably happened. Yeah, right. So but, so they've they spent a lot of money on Sandro Tonali, who's made upside you're getting out of possession. Um, and I think a lot of people will look at that and say, you know, it seems a lot of money for a guy who isn't going to be offering a huge amount in possession. But I think the, the big thing about Newcastle, and we've been talking about this a lot in the office, is how similar they are to Jurgen Klopp's. Liverpool early on and the big question with them was always okay the main upside we're getting is out of possession uh, you can talk about Gagan pressing being the you know the, the, the best number 10 because it's the, the best creator but there comes a point I think where you recognise that you do need to get more creativity into the team and I think these are the sorts of questions that Newcastle will have to deal with right as they're going forward into the future so having a fullbacks like uh, Trippier and then fullbacks like Tierney who can get forward and can be creative as well I think will be the sorts of things that they're thinking about for the future right It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Cool. Well, that's Newcastle done. Let's go on to the next team, shall we? Uh, John, you made a video about Spurs. I did. And uh, they've hired Ange Postacoglu, who's got a big job on his hands. Mm -hmm. Um, The main problem you identified was because they've been managed by Antonio Conte for so long, um, 
their squad is built for a back three system, especially with the wing backs who aren't really full backs or wingers. Um, and Postacoglu loves a four three three. So how do they go about taking uh, tackling that challenge? Yeah. So the the big idea behind this video is how do you move from a squad that is built for a back three system to work for a back four system? And it you know it's not as easy as you might think because I think intrinsically everyone feels as though well all you need to do is move a few players around and you can you can fill out the the areas where Ange Postacoglu wants players to be so the big the big question for us was where do you get width from in these two different systems because Antonio Conte gets width from wing backs so they're sort of in the central part of the pitch around the halfway line that's where you're usually finding that width um, but Ange Postacoglu likes to use fullbacks, and he also likes to use more traditional wingers, so touchline hugging wingers to, to give him width. So the big question is then, here's Spurs, they've got all of these wingbacks lying around, you've got to move them into either winger areas or fullback areas, right? So um, I think a lot of people just kind of think, well, you can just look at the wingbacks and say, this one's a bit more attacking, so we'll make them into a wingback, and this one, you could do a job defensively, so we'll make them a fullback. And m my argument was really... All you're doing in that situation is moving players out of position um, and all of your wingbacks are now not playing positions that are suited to you. So maybe there's a, a better solution here, which is to make sure that you're actually improving the quality of the players that you have in those wide positions, because they're, uh, particularly the winger positions, because that's where you're getting a huge amount of creative upside for Ange Postacoglu. So we focused on that and, and tried to solve the problem of the number eights and said, you know, they don't have the, the, the best profiles for number eights but we can, we could use someone like De Dejan Kulusevski as a, an eight because of the way that, that Ange uses his eights now we can focus on the wide areas for, for wingers find some wingers who could come in and uh, and then in the next few windows you have a much more manageable task ahead of you which is okay let's think about what we're going to do with fullbacks maybe we can improve the profiles of our eights etc yeah so um, just going back to the process of like moving a wing back to a full back position it was a freak result but we've seen pedro porro play it right back in a back four for spurs and it didn't go very well mm -hmm. when they got battered by newcastle um so yeah god knows what they're going to do with him <laughs> but in in terms of those winger positions that i think he played it right managing. back against scotland for spain and he was not good there either oh really yeah i think that's what happened well, he's very much a, a winger who got converted backwards, right? Yeah. And then, which is always a bit of a, a it's I quite rare red, fl red flag, really. I mean, two examples of that happening that kind of worked. I can think of are Ashley Young. He adapted to it oh, really yeah. well. Um, Antonio on, Valencia on both sides, and Antonio Valencia, mm. because watching Valencia like when he was when United signed him, it was still kind of the four four two era. It kind of wasn't United anyway, because they had um, Rooney and whoever Berbatov, let's say. Um, but he didn't look like a modern winger by the time uh, Ferguson left and Moyes and LVG took over. It was like he, he didn't have a left foot. Like he was very kind of one dimensional running in straight lines. So it, it made a lot of sense for him to do that. But it, it's more the positional side of it, right, that you have to learn rather than a technical side. Yeah. So someone like Poro, I think he's is so elite because he is able to put the ball on players heads in the box. Right. That's that's a really great skill to have. And, and you know, it's the same sort of problem that we have with Trent Alexander-Arnold, right? Which is, you're really, really elite at this one thing that offers a huge amount of attacking upside. But the question is, what do you do with that player outside of those moments? If you can't go 1v1 around players, uh, around opposition fullbacks, then it's hard to sort of justify the existence of that player as a 
as an out-and-out winger or wide forward. Um, and if you can't do the defending stuff, then you can't really play them as a fullback. And I think Porro is a great example of a, a player who offers that upside. But then the big question is, like, when he's not crossing the ball, what do you do with him? Um, so, yeah, I think that a lot of that, those sorts of questions come into this video in particular. So Kulisevsky was quite a controversial one. A lot of Spurs fans saying, well, you know, we know that Kulisevsky is a good wide player because he's played there for us and was good under uh, under Antonio Conte at the beginning. Why are, we, why are you now saying that he wouldn't really suit an Antipostokoglu system? And I think what people don't realise is that a lot of what Antonio Conte is doing is, is generating space in the opposition's half for his team to attack. So a lot of those attacks are quite transitional into space often running uh, uh, if you're running at a fullback as a wide player the fullback is running back towards their own goal and so getting around them is is a slightly easier prospect whereas with Ange Postacoglu he does do build up play and he does want to sort of generate transitional moments but it's much more patient build up in wide areas you end up with these triangles of players so an, an eight a fullback and a and a wide winger and the general idea is you retain possession of the ball you rotate a lot you are good in tight spaces and then you fashion these openings where you can get into the, the opposition's penalty box behind the, their fullbacks or their centre-backs. Um, and I think what ends up happening then is that all three of those players, they play very similar roles because it's, you know, it's, it's basically doing a rondo with three players around the opposition. Um, each one of them will have different skill sets. And I think what the wide player often has to do is receive the ball on the touchline and they'll be stood up against a, a fullback. Um, so they're, they're receiving the ball and they're static and then the thing is you've got to be able to go one way or the other um, and I think that's maybe an area where Kulisevsky would struggle more I think he's great, a great ball carrier great running into space great running at fullbacks when they're running back towards their own goal which would be a part of that role but in terms of a lot of the other stuff I'm, I'm not sure that he would be as well suited to that position and as I said before because those three players actually have to have a lot of the same skill sets because a lot of them are rotating into different positions anyway they're generating a lot of that movement through rotational movement so often it, let's say the winger is held up by a fullback the eight will then push into the channel to have the ball down the line you're then sort of playing a winger position anyway. Um, and I think that Kulisevsky probably suits that position more because I think space opens up around the eight a bit more in um, an Ange Postacoglu system. So that was what that, that solution was all about. It was Yeah, you idiots. <laughs> That's what <laughs> it's, it's about. Throwback to Jade Devine there. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm Gone but chair. not forgotten. <laughs> R.I.P. Um, so wingers that you suggested they could sign. I see Nico Williams written down which is not the former Liverpool Forest player but no, Inyaki's no. younger brother that's right he's, yeah. he's very talented yeah so the, the way that we solved solved the, the picks here was we we were saying like because because Spurs are solving the eight problem internally to their squad you can then spend a lot of money on just getting one of the best um, uh, the dribbly wide wingers in world football and so we suggested Karim Mitama from from Brighton as the as the main pick but then we suggested actually, you know, because they have so little depth, it might be better to just split that, that the amount of money that you would need for Mitama in, in two and then bring in two players who can play either side. Um, and we, we landed upon Nico Williams as one uh, at, at Athletic Club, as you say, and then Jota at Celtic because obviously he's the perfect Ange winger because he's had him there he's for the season. Yeah. So. I mean, I, I don't want this to happen, but uh, Wilfred Zaha's available on a free. He's a dribbly boy. Would he work? 
Yeah, I don't know. How do you feel about him in terms of like those, you know, sitting as a as a wide winger all the time? Do you not feel as though he's 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 looking to be a little bit more central? Well, yeah. Sometimes when once he gets the ball, he likes to dribble inwards with it. But um, he does receive the ball a lot with his back to goal, and then fullbacks right up him, and he has to go go backwards. But then sometimes one of his strengths is immediately turning them and mm. running into the space behind them. Yeah. Um, but again, he prefers to play on the left, so it depends what you do with Son, right? Yeah, and I mean, Son is another controversial aspect of that video because, uh, again, I think that if you're if you're having to play Son either wide or central, either as a winger or as a striker, I think he probably fits the central role a little bit better than the the wide option. And I think a lot of um, Spurs fans were quite annoyed at me suggesting that he's not the sort of player who's going to be able to again st- stand up against a fullback and go either way uh, around them as well. So, um, but I think you know, Richarlison the same, right? He would definitely. I think Richarlison would be perfect through the middle for them actually I think he's he profiles quite nicely as Ange forward so you've you've got that and then there was a big question about what happens with Harry Kane this season which has been rumbling around the last few days right indeed yes Uh, a lot of that will depend on what happens with Kane I suppose Mm -hmm. and if they do sell him how much money they get for him and then how much they can invest in those in those players but if they do lose Kane, you, they'll be they'll be all right. It sounds like I think they'll be okay to yeah. to have like Richarlison and Son in a rotation in that in that central position. I think a lot of people can't get their heads around the fact that you know Harry Kane is obviously an elite elite number nine, one of the best in the world, one of the best ever, um, and the concept of Kane leaving and actually Spurs maybe being better off, I think, is is a tough one to come to terms with but I'm, I'm simply saying better off in a tactical sense there rather than in terms of a talent level because yeah, obviously yeah. they wouldn't be better off in terms of the talent ceiling they have available to them but obviously Kane is, is, is a striker who likes to drop off and, and doesn't necessarily hold the line which is what I think you want from a from a, an Ange Postacoglu striker really you want someone who is going to make those runs in behind going to stretch uh, defenses create space in the in the central areas for your eights as well. It can drop a little bit, but I think the you do want someone who's going to be a target man who is going to be the recipient of those balls from the wide players, or you know can can support the eights as they as they box crash as well. So I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world if Kane leaves because I think it then gives Postacoglu a little bit more license to introduce some of the ideas that he might want to do longer term, which he can't really do if if Kane is at the club. Mm. Um, did you watch a lot of Angie's Celtic? Yes. Um, do you think Tongi and Dombele could be one of those eights that John uh, mentions, or would he not be a good fit? Because he'll be coming back from his loan at Napoli, won't he? Yeah, he's an odd player because he has little moments where he's magic, but then clearly, like there's like, two managers now who just got rid of him and can't deal with it. He didn't even play that much for Napoli. He kind of got in. I think they had an injury, and that's why he was playing for Napoli so much. But even then, he wasn't a key part of it. He can be quite good. Uh, but I'm trying to think the the way the eights work for Celtic. I mean, obviously the thing is, right, uh, he won't do exactly the same at Celtic as he will at Spurs. It'll be different because the players are available are obviously very different. Same way, like, I mean, he because the team is, like John's saying, built for a 3-4-3 three, three, or that sort of shape. I mean, he's done that with Australia before. It doesn't mean he, he won't do it, but it, he'd be advised not to. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you see that sort of change in him. And 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 Dombley, can yeah, he's expensive. I don't know. Is it? He'll get in fact, Like the thing we know about Postecoglou is that he doesn't take nonsense nor fools. So if he's got a guy who's not um, doing the things he wants him to do on the pitch or in training or just doesn't like the cut of his jib, he'll just get rid, and he'll be brutal with it really early. 
So that's what you'll see from him. Obviously, he's working with players who are like multi, multi-million pound assets now, which isn't something he's done before. So that's the difference in how you manage that. That'll be the interesting part of it. But it's an option they've got there. That otherwise, like John says, like Hoiberg, um, it's like the Celso's one that maybe they brought him back. Into yeah, I think with, within Dombele and La Celso, I think they would both be able to play those roles quite well. But the the bigger question is the the context of their relationship with the club. Yeah, um, I think La Celso obviously has left and, and has been quite successful in La Liga and probably prefers not being there. And I think with Ndombele, there was there was all sort of questions about his physicality. He didn't seem to be able to. Uh, adopt the right level of physicality for a full 90 minutes and, and ha- hasn't done the same I don't think in Napoli as well so maybe questions about whether or not he'd be up for the intensity of it as well um, but yeah a lot, of pe- a lot of people suggested in response to the video what about these two players they'd be perfect and you know again this is why what we're doing is focusing on squad building we're trying to say how sensible is it for those two to ex- for you to expect them to just want to come back in and put a huge amount of effort in working for a club where uh, they may both have felt as though they were frozen out in some way so stages as well right so you can't just go in and do like five or six straight away he's going to only really do three big changes mm. he's going to do them if they even have the money to do that sort of thing so it's it's very mean, interesting in the squad building stuff. In in, in Dombele's defence, running around playing football for 90 minutes is knackering <laughs> and um, I sympathise with him there. Um, but from North London to West, let's talk about Chelsea. Um, is the video out yet? Because I haven't actually watched any yes, of them. Okay. I made it. Yeah. You made the Chelsea yeah. video. Wonderful. Obviously, they're... Um, it's very good. It's the best Obviously, one, yeah. it's very good. Um, but I haven't seen it, so you're going to have to tell me about it. Um, they obviously need to sell more than they need to buy. Yeah, they've got shitloads of players. So they've got to sell heaps of them. Uh, quite handily, the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia <laughs> turned up and yeah. they're just buying all of them. So that's a really good way to... And they've shifted three over there, haven't they? Uh, Kante, yeah, Koulibaly, Ziyech. I don't know if... Mendy. Any... Uh, there's a few that either have done or... Are on their way. On their way, yeah. And it looks very much like Ruben Loftus-Cheek is going to AC Milan. So that could have happened by the time this comes out as well. Broken exclusively by David Ornstein of The Athletic earlier today. Well, that's on good. On the is, day of recording. Is there somewhere else you can follow all that sort of top news? Oh, even? absolutely, yes. Follow The Athletic FC on TikTok, you were saying. That's good, yeah. And then, um, yeah, Ruben Loftus-Cheek. Yeah. And so they'll get rid of loads of players. But it's, the part of the fun of it is then you have to work out well, who's, you know, it's very easy to say. I like when people say they should buy a striker. You go, which one? And then they say, ah, oh, Hollands, that they can't afford. That's, yeah. that's, that's mental. Just you can't do that. a nine. It's yeah, like a nine. A so like, I always think you should be able to name the people you're going to do. So then you're looking at who are they going to sell? They want to sell Aubameyang. Who's buying Aubameyang? Like, he, where's he going to go? MLS, maybe? Who's going to take him on as the designated player? There was a rumour um, a couple of a month or so ago that Barcelona wanted him back. I was like, <laughs> why? Has, has Aubameyang not left then? They still technically uh, have him on the board. Hasn't signed anywhere yet officially okay. yet at the time we're recording, obviously. Um, so there's a bunch of players that you think they need to get rid of to really make these things work and then uh, there's always rumours and things going around where players might go where but trying to work out who's linked with it Kovacic going is odd because the players are really selling like Kovacic um, at Loftus-Cheek and then when you look at when you strip down all the players they should get rid of the ones they are rumoured to get rid of or are strongly linked with due to reporting by David Zornstein and others on uh, the Athletic FC and, that happens. and so then um, you look at the squad and they've basically got nothing left so their midfield is going to be uh, Enzo Fernandez, who's a lovely player but then also joined by um, the human Labrador Conor Gallagher he's really good bless him yeah. but a great squad player right you mm. had him at Palace like, and the thing is you think of him as like a 
N'Golo Kante type who runs around and, and wins the ball back. He's not. He receives the ball a lot in the opposition box and in the final third. He's a different kind of player. He does press intently, but yeah, that you're right. It's like an like, eight or a ten, really. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you got him. So then you want someone to sit next to Enzo so he can go and run, wander around a bit. So they were linked with well, they're still linked heavily with Moises Caicedo at the moment, who profiles as quite a good player for that position that they want. And we know before that they're looking at Manuel Lagarde, who is um, a Uruguayan player, plays at Sporting, but is now going to PSG. And that's obviously that's what they're trying to identify. They want someone to sit next to that. It looks like he's probably going to play uh, two eights, two sixes, whatever we call them, um, in front of the the, the back four. Pochettino's going to do that. Maybe he's going to go back three pots. You know, that's another thing to try and figure out. He did. He did do that with Spurs, um, but it was more to combat um, Chelsea. Uh, Conte's Chelsea's back three, which everyone did, right? Yeah, yeah. everyone switched to it that season. I'm and pre- they, they changed in game as well. Remember, Dyer yeah. used to move yeah. back into the back. Into yeah, the back they played Dyer as one of the double pivots, right? And that meant that you could be quite flexible with him dropping in between the two yeah. centre backs, so you can have a, a back three or a back two depending on where you want where you want your extra man. And Dortmund did that this year, so mm. it's still very modern that tactic. So you can do that. Uh, so that's what we found the fun with, with Chelsea is that, and then they're looking at. So you look at what they've got going forward. On you look at when you because John made this great uh, tactics board with all the players like designated with like homegrown players. You have got to think about that as well. So for anyone unsure how this works, when you register your Premier League team, you can register twenty five players. Uh, now a minimum of those twenty five players have to be homegrown. Eight of those have to be homegrown players. So ones either I think there's a there's another limit for um, players at your club as well. But homegrown means like you know trained within the nation from the ages of eighteen to twenty one. I think yeah, three seasons or something two, like that. Two something seasons, around yeah. If it's 16, before the 18, age of a certain yeah. yeah. I like I think when Fabregas was at Arsenal, I'm pretty sure he counted as yeah yeah because you send them young and you can get yeah. them yeah and you, that's why you send young players from abroad and you can bring them through as homegrown eventually. And uh, so they've got that problem is one thing, uh, and then you can you don't have to register under twenty one players. And obviously Chelsea's what you can see they're doing is their strategy is they're buying lots of young players on big long contracts so they can form a team, they can build a team long term, which is what the best teams are like they're long term built. And um, so are you saying that Todd Bowley's actually a genius? <laughs> well, they did. They signed loads of players and then have immediately had to sell loads of players. So it doesn't look as genius, maybe, as it as it wants yeah. to. Yeah. When I, mean, I don't know anything about money or accounting <laughs> or anything like that, so or amortization. Oh, I mean, I know what that is now okay. thanks to videos that John's made specifically. But then there's a obviously that we know what their strategy is. So again, you're looking at what they're trying to do with the squad building and trying to work out what the tactics will be because that's a small but it's a small but important part of it. But also, what players, what age profile you want to get together and who's going to like each other and form a nice dressing room. Just because you sign a big player doesn't mean that they're going to get on with everyone else in the room. And we don't obviously don't know their profile of person. There's no data for that. Niceness level. You have to speak to them, don't you? Yeah. That's the thing. There should be a stat on football manager. Banter. Niceness. Well, I think I think that sort of stuff literally does exist in the back end of football manager. <laughs> really? Yeah. They're, they're really big on that mental oh, stuff. Like but it's all hidden stats. Oh, so, you, so that the chemistry kind of exactly. plays it's out the huge, game. Yeah. It's a huge part of it because it is actually in real life. And uh, and so now we're looking at what they've got left. Let's we'll see, there's no midfielders left. And on the right, they've got Noni uh, Maduike. Oh, my God, I can't say his name. Maduike. Maduike, thank you. Anyway, the good right winger. He plays up front for England under 21s, I think, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, they played that system the other day without a striker. It was like seven attacking midfielders, and they were just kind of Curtis Jones, uh, Mick Gibbs White was playing. It was Smith Rowe. It was Everyone messy, was but having fun trying to work out what the formation was before the game kicked off. I enjoyed that on Twitter.com. That sounds like what a lot of my Sunday league games were like. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're meant to be left wing, my friend, but you're playing through the middle at the moment. And yeah, yeah, it's fluid. It's fluid. Yeah. <laughs> There's no one left back at the end of it. Uh, and so they've only got one right winger, right? So then Ziyech would be a really good player to keep. 
because he's the right kind of ball playing creative player that comes off the right and plays in the half space whatever but they're selling him because they're trying to squad build and build a happy mm. squad and he wants to leave and then you end up with uh, obviously number nine Nicholas Jackson's this guy they look to they might have brought him in by the time this comes out um, but looked at him didn't include him because he knew sort of it was going to be happening but they still probably need a legit number nine but we've done it so many times before because we needed that thing sorted for ages. They need to stop Did giving... You did that last year, didn't you? Yeah, I feel like there's a lot of these sensible transfer videos where you say, this team needs a number nine and then the next transfer window comes around and you have to cover them again. Because they've You're got like, the yeah, wrong they, nine. They still need a number nine. Yeah. And I mean, they, This what, team still needs a number nine. What Chelsea need to do is stop giving players the actual number nine because hmm. it always fails. Tammy actually did all right with it, and then and then he. I left, think that was one of the biggest mistakes they made. Selling selling Tammy Abraham, I thought he would he would have grown into that role, but I think yeah. they want yeah. results now, damn it, and yeah, that's why that's he wasn't. He just misses quite a few chances. But then Nicholas Jackson is relatively inexperienced, isn't he? So mm. he's just like that. Yeah, yeah. he's a sort well, of inside forwardy kind of guy, right? Who who was well, moved. Never, I, in, I think he's a nine. He was moved inside and then yeah. has done quite well, and they've bought him off the back of it, right? Have you watched is, him play much? Like, yeah, yeah. Sort of quite. He's quite a mobile player, and um, he's really strong. People yeah. just bounce off him. It's yeah. nuts. Like what about <laughs> it, it, um, what about Christopher and Kunku? Where does he fit? Oh, into all of this? He's just a, he's just arrived. N- now, I thought he's quite versatile. Now, I feel like when he was at Leipzig and PSG before that, mm-hmm. he's played ev- in loads of different positions. He can do it all. And now he's what, like a second striker? I think if you if you ha- if you play a four two three one, which is what Poch was he's roughly the 10, playing, is he? he can play as a ten. He can play as either of the two wide players, and he can play as a striker as well. So I think that's probably why they they brought him in again, just sort of thinking, oh, this is smart. It kind of gives us a bit of flexibility. But. And I wonder if they thought they would get rid of Kai Havertz when they agreed the deal because they play in a similar mm. position. A very again example of like sensible transfers. It's completely different, completely different kinds of players, but play a same position. So whereas Nkunku will make things happen, he's very direct, very involved in the ball. Mm. And uh, can run past players. I mean, he's absolutely brilliant. He's so good. They're so lucky to have him. Havertz is plays on the edge of things, and yeah, he feels a bit more passive, doesn't he? So yeah, he's, like, he's he been likes pl- to be there and thereabouts to sort of yeah. arrive. I think he said himself he's basically a midfielder who likes to crash into the box. Like um, he's essentially a left-footed Frank Lampard yeah. in style, <laughs> yeah. right? But yeah. they've just been playing him up front for like two, who three him? years. Well, Mr. Lampard signed him, didn't he? He did. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, but seriously, what a waste of money. Well, that's a lot about Chelsea. So let's move on to the eternally chaotic Manchester United. Now, the debate here is which position should they prioritise? They need a goalkeeper um, if they want to play play out from the back in the way that Ten Hag wants to, because obviously he's been quite pragmatic having to use De Gea. Um, but they also need a striker because, you know, last season they had Veghorst and Rashford, neither of whom are long-term options through the middle, really. Um, as good as Marcus Rashford is. So what do you think they should do, John? I think that the decision you make on this is to do with timing. I think if you bring in a goalkeeper, Manchester United will be improved in the long run. Um, but not necessarily in the short term will you you see the benefit of that. Uh, whereas if you bring in a centre-forward, I think they, in the short term, improve a lot because they've been playing a certain way without a centre-forward. I don't think you would have to change much to just bring in a really elite centre-forward who could just score goals and you know, we've just seen Spurs finish like pretty well in the Premier League, considering the season they've had just off the back of Harry Kane's goals. So the big question for Man United is, do you want to get Champions League football next season? If yes, probably the best thing to do is to bring in a number nine. If the question then is, would you rather 
if you do that, then the, the question may be, well, you're, you're, you're stymieing your long-term growth, right? You're, 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 you're looking at this in a short-termist way, and you're saying, okay, we'll solve other problems later. The other option is to start solving those problems now and say, okay, we'll bring in a goalkeeper who's much better at building out from the back, uh, doesn't have as many uh, bloops in him as, as, as David De Gea. Bloops. Bloops. Yeah. Um, is did that you, a word? I think I just made that one up. Uh, did you mean, oh, I don't know. I think Bloop. Bloopers well, a blooper's real. Is. I think you've merged. Bleep. A blooper's real. <laughs> that sounds like you're saying it belong. The real belongs to the blooper. I think you've merged blip and blooper. It is I, I the no, blooper. I did what I did, and I am not ashamed of it. It's a new word. Um, but yeah, I think if you bring in someone who is going to be able to eradicate all of those things from from the goalkeeper side of the game. Manchester United will then be able to start working on doing better build-up play, but that won't happen overnight. And so, again, you, you end up with the sort of situation that they had at the beginning of last season, which is it clearly wasn't going to work, and so they had to then become much more pragmatic. Um, and the question is whether or not they would be able to go through a period where they have to you know, go through those growing pains of, of learning how to build up in a, in a different way. Um, in the long run, that's obviously the better thing to do because it gives you a much more um, consistent manner of moving the ball down the, fi- down the field. Um, but at the same time, you know, in the short term, it could actually stop you from finishing in the top four. So, I mean, I guess the best case scenario is you sort of do both and hope it, it works out. Yeah. But This is always United's problem, though, isn't it? It's the expectation yeah. is to never fall out of the Champions League, basically to win the league, which obviously they're miles away from. But so they all they keep on going for short term solutions, yeah. like even as far back as um, Falcao who didn't work out for various reasons. But even Van Persie, he was like, well, we need to win the league next season, so let's just buy the best option in now. And they did. And they did. So They did. So it works. Sir Alex Ferguson, big part of that. Uh, But then, like, Zlatan, (laughs) Cavani... Ronaldo, it's like stop buying oh, old strikers. I mean, they're for Mason Mount now, right? And then mm. they're getting this Man United tax because everyone knows that either they are completely easy to deceive yeah. <laughs> in, in a negotiation, uh, or they, I don't know. They just know they have loads of money. Yeah, yeah. I think it's, for me, it's like a, it's a, whether or not they want a floor raise or ceiling raise, and it feels like Man United always take the floor raising option, which is you know keep the fans happy, keep the fans off your back, but you'll never ever reach the, you're never going to be challenging a lot, like consistently at the top level. And what yeah. they need to do is they do need to start deciding when the point is at which they need to just start making these ceiling raising choices. It's a good metaphor, that. Yeah, there's a lot of players that can sell as well. Um, I mean, there's a lot of them that would be available. They tend not to sell players for lots of money. They're not very good at selling players. No, yeah. like Martial, I think he's probably no need to keep around really because you can't rely on him. He's um, never fit enough, is Yeah, Jadon Sancho doesn't seem to quite have worked for him at that club. But the problem as well is that because they go for those floor-raising options and not the ceiling-raising ones, they reduce the value of their players anyway because yeah. they never look impressive. Like, Jadon Sancho, like what, he'll have a market, but his value is so much reduced from when they brought him in. And I bet um, if they had a decent striker playing alongside him to run onto any little passes or little dribbles he does, they'd probably be worth more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly yeah. On. Well, a big part of that problem as well is that um, kind of until Ten Hag... It, like they didn't really have like a clear um, long-term plan in terms of how they want to play. So they were signing players because they were good in carefully constructed systems and then just kind of lobbing them onto the pitch together and being confused as to why they weren't That's because they good. need 100 hags to fix the Manu <laughs> That was bad. That's one of the best jokes I've seen. Was that a comment? It was a comment in yeah. one of our videos, yeah. Someone says, 10 hags, they don't need 10 hags, they need 100 hags. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that it's good? Like Pokemon that evolves, no, no. isn't it? Yeah. I was thinking no. Bloopers Real also sounds like it could be a band. 
Bloopers real. With an apostrophe. Bloopers real, yeah. Good evening. Sounds like somewhere in America. Good evening, Camden. We are bloopers real. I see them more as like maybe like a Midwestern emo kind of band. You go to the south of America and they're like, hi there, welcome to bloopers real. It could be that as well. Like a bluegrassy thing. Yeah. And then I also think like, uh, the most important part of a band is probably the drummer like, especially if you play in them the, the drummer's good it raises everyone else it raises the floor <laughs> so it's, it's a ceiling and <laughs> ceiling yeah. raising ceiling yeah. floor because I think honestly like any band I've ever played in if the drummer's amazing then you're just like oh, we're good we're is good that band. because most drummers are just usually quite like just average it's, it's it's okay to have an average drummer and still be an okay band I think so like I mean everyone points at Ringo Starr playing like very simple beats but he actually plays amazing stuff which makes them really high quality lots but you of look nice at, fills yeah, yeah. Radiohead's often the example people tell me where the drummer's not amazing but I think he does exactly what he needs to and he'll do a lot of loops but like Block Party is a good example would Block Party be as good if they had a standard disco drummer I don't think so <laughs> think of like Silent Alarm how good that was yeah with like the drummer is absolutely incredible but on that then, record. But then the ceiling raising thing is if you get the best front man ever, then people don't necessarily. Yeah, care but like I mean, uh, you still Matt, it... Matt Helders is a good example of that. He's a very good drummer. Who's that? The Arctic Monkeys guy. Oh yeah, yeah. You don't like you don't like no, them. But then like so <laughs> if, if you put David I'm De Gea on drums, everyone has been talking about how great Arctic <laughs> yeah. Monkeys are. I'm so glad that you've just like yeah. dismissed them. Like they're not. Yeah. It's it's not good to listen to. They were good when they had <laughs> long, lots of energy when they were younger. Now he's doing all, like, uh, I don't even like them anyway. <laughs> all right, well, I do. I'm going to watch anyway. the retention rates for this moment. Yeah. The <laughs> but you know, so I'm trying to go with your ceiling and floor bit. I yeah. think that works quite well for me because then, like, I think you focus on more of the centre forward for the goals. It makes absolute sense. But it is, like, they need both. And that's yeah. a real complication. I mean, with that video, uh, we've done the same video for years and years and years. And so I think Joe, what Joe wanted was something a little bit more general. So it was kind of saying, let's think about the big, picture here and the big picture is that we don't know how big their budget is going to be by by the time the window swings around uh, and also like the stuff that we've been talking about in terms of time scales right they do they make decisions now for the short term or do they make decisions now for the long term right because bringing in someone like harry kane is quite a short-term approach i think um and one of the points that we made in the video was actually if you look at manchester united's starting 11 their starting 11 is quite good but they're also quite old. There's a lot of players who are, you know, a couple of seasons away from their 30s. And so you're in this situation where if you want to challenge at the top, you're going to have to do it in the short term. So you have to bring in prime age players now to try and just get yourself to that next level. Yeah. If you do that and it doesn't work out, you don't win anything and you end up with a squad that's now completely decimated. Yeah. So They made a rub for their own back by buying so many of those players and then they're like well now yeah. we have to buy more of them yeah, yeah. and of course Chelsea have like 20 of them coming through they'll be peak <laughs> age by the time you're like, still buying a third new 32 year old yeah know. and I think that's again comes back to what we've been talking about in terms of um, in terms of the the, um, the, the, the short termism that Manchester United have right is that they've always sort of operated with the need to placate the fans get them to a certain level they've never actually done that hard reset where they've got to go okay well let's make some decisions here which are going to result in us finishing maybe mid-table for a season um they can't do that and so they're in this cycle of constantly having to you know keep up with the joneses and and it's really hard to squad build when that's the, the keep model up with the think. phil joneses keep up with the phil they joneses. do what they need to do to keep the the green and gold scarves away and it's uh yeah, yeah. it's a bit no one's signed phil jones yet Poor is he still he's, he's, he's now been released by man united has he yeah i think so yeah, what an incredible career that was he was there for ages wasn't he I think he's not even that old. Guess how, how old Phil Jones is. Um, okay, he signed for United in 2011 when he was about From Blackburn Rovers, 19. I reckon Phil Jones is 32. He's 31. <sighs> he is six years younger than you and I, John. 
if you look at his data when he was playing regularly for Man United, he was his good. numbers were incredible. He was great. Really, really incredible. Do you remember that? Um, there was that thing. Who is it that Sam Allardyce's assistant? Is it, uh, Sam Lee. No, the guy at Blackburn who said that. Sammy, is that his name? No, are you thinking of when Sir Alex Ferguson said that he could end up being Manchester United's greatest ever player? It was the guy who was Blackburn manager. Oh, he was an assistant under Sam Allardyce. Oh, Brian Kidd. No. Was he not Brian Steve Keen? Steve, Steve Keen, yeah. When's the last time you thought about Steve Keen? Well, <laughs> about 2012, probably. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. all I have. Oh, say. what about Steve Keen? I just, I just hadn't thought of Steve Keen. Uh, like, oh, but he had Jones at Blackburn. He would have won yeah. the football game, Steve Keen, of managers, because I haven't thought about him in ages. Oh, yeah. It's a good, fun game, that. People always play John Gregory, but it doesn't count. He's too famous. Should we very quickly just wrap up on um, Mason Mount? And is he even a good fit for Manchester United? Yeah, I, I, I wonder if the, this is another one of those transfers where it's primar- primarily motivated by out-of-possession stuff. Mm. Um, so one of the things we saw last season for Manchester United was they really struggled to play anyone in the 10 role who was going to be really elite as a as a presser. So they played. They sometimes would play um, Val Vaghorst there. Mm. Sabitzer um, filled in there a Sabitzer, few times. Yeah. They've played Fred there even a few times as well. Bruno, Fernandes, Deeper. Yeah, in, yeah. In and I think... The, the idea between but behind getting someone like Mason Mount into that position is that one he's really good at possession but two he's also creative as well so he he, he sort of uh, I think probably makes their press better um, and also I mean something we don't ever talk about with Manchester United is actually they at their best last season they were essentially like a counter-pressing team I don't think they always did it in the ways that you would expect they often allowed teams to build up in the wide areas and they, they would then spring these pressing traps and then the idea is okay you, because you've pulled them forward you've created space in behind and you can then release Rashford or uh, the, the wide player on the other side in behind uh, and they generated a lot of chances in that way and I think again Mount is a great player for that he'll be great in the counter-press and then he can play those passes through as well that's why Casemiro was so good for Manchester United last season because again he's a really really good defensive counter-pressing player uh, can win the ball back and then and then can make those passes mm. in in behind and so J- I, JJ I think, made a great video about that at the time hmm, yeah. yeah so I think that that's that's probably what's motivating the the Mason Mount thing I think that um, Eric Ten Hag thinks about how do I make my press better how do I get the attacking upside from it and as a result of that, someone like Mason Mount is just a perfect fit there. Okay, well, you've convinced me. Um, oh. And Bruno would be the more, you know, dictating attacks that were not sprung from counter-pressing. Yeah, and well, I guess the benefit it gives you is, the, you know, if you lose someone, like they lost Anthony for a while and then ended up, you know, he, Anthony is, again, one of those players who people are very critical about because of the in-possession side of the game. But out of possession, I think the reason why Anthony was brought in is because he played with Ten Hag before, so he knows the pressing pattern. Uh, and also he's like he's really good at playing in that front. That, they have a, line of, a front line of three out of possession and they play up against four and it means you have to be really, really good at reading the, the, the triggers and stuff. And so Anthony was brilliant out of possession. But as soon as you lose Anthony, then you've, you, you end up with a problem somewhere else because you move usually Fernandez across. And I think Fernandez is good largely out of possession in, in those sorts of systems not as good as Anthony but you then don't have anyone necessarily in the 10 spot so I think that if you bring in someone like Mount you can then make sure you've got like decent presses in most of the positions um, minus, minus Rashford who isn't particularly good but the others make up for that and Rashford obviously you once you, once you get the ball then he's great yeah exactly yeah. yeah cool anything to add <laughs> why are you laughing I like the way you said cool cool it's pretty cool yeah I like the way you said Bruno Fernandes Mm. Let's say you really say his name, kids. I'm a well, yeah. I'm a man of culture. You're a newsman now. I'm a newsman. You're like a who's a newsman? Who's a good newsman? I remember in the uh, when the Ron Burgundy. <laughs> yeah, 
Amatai Winehouse is a newsman. Yeah, he's a newsman. Um, I remember when Brazil were announcing their uh, the the squad players for the World Cup back in the whenever it was winter. November. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah whenever it was. Yeah. I I've lost all sense of time, but uh, they were they were reading these out. I saw I saw a clip of it, and they did Thiago Silva, and they said his club as Chelsh. <laughs> That's all they said. Chelsh. Really? Yeah. Chelsh. Yeah. yeah. That's good. Rid of Portuguese. Well, then we say all the fascinating words language. In that's wrong, yeah. right? So we call like, uh, like Germany. We call Germany. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I read about this in a newsletter recently. The the Spanish like to literally translate the name of cities quite often. So they call New York Nueva York, and yeah. they call Newcastle Nuevo Castillo, which is like a literal translation to mean a new castle, mm. which is that's great. which is great. But then we don't it. it um, Contrasted it with the fact that we don't call Las Vegas the Meadows or Los Angeles the, <laughs> the Angels. Angels yeah. So it's just oh yeah, language fascinating. Like Greece it? is called the Lather, right? Is it? Yeah. Oh, didn't know that's that. The, well, that's what they, yeah. That's where you get Hellas from, I guess. Is it? Hellas, ah, yeah. There you go. Every day's a school day at Tifo. Well, yeah, and the, the format has gone, but the etymology has remained. Ah, uh, wouldn't be an episode of the podcast without a bit of etymology chat, would it? It wouldn't. Is that, is that <laughs> it? Cool. Cool. It, yeah. <laughs> we done. We're done. Should we go? Great. Thanks for listening slash watching. Bye. <laughs>